everybody. So this dumb. is Busted Business Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Christian Borky. That's Blender Bluid. Hey. And that's Amy Doe. What's up? <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> We're coming Ooh, back ah. from part one. Ooh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was delayed myself with yeah. the joke. That's good. <laughs> this is part of a larger season covering, covering private military contractors. Coming? I... <laughs> You should probably listen to the other episodes before this, but if you don't, I don't mm. care. Do Gosh. whatever you want. I care. They were really good. They were really good. I did listen to. I listened to the last one. I was like, how did, How would anyone else like this one? <laughs> no. It's unhinged. Mm-hmm. Everyone, if, if they don't like it, they're wrong. I finally no, no, no. figured out Spotify for podcasters. Oh, yeah. So I can put little polls mm. on the thing and people can respond to it, Ooh. which is a huge slay. What's the poll you did? I think you should have one that just has the three of us's options. <laughs> <laughs> Who won this episode? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and one of us gets voted off the island. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. Oh my god, devastating. I'm just putting you two up for then, up for like <laughs> voting off. <laughs> oh my god. The dictatorship continues. <laughs> I also benevolent. I have yeah. an announcement I need to make on the podcast. Ooh. Oh my god. Well, okay. The past few episodes, I've been say implying that I get negative comments on Reddit, and that's not true. Aww. And I, I just need to come forward and say it. I've been making up a guy to be mad at <laughs> because a lot of podcasts get a lot of flack on Reddit, normal gossip being the main yeah, one okay. I'm thinking of. Yeah. And so when I was saying that, I was just imagining a future where people talk about me on Reddit. But the people who talk uh, about me on Reddit now have been overwhelmingly positive. Well, shout out to the Redditors. People so talk I've, about you on Reddit? I, I thought it was a fake guy this whole time and people on Reddit simply pretend that it doesn't exist. <laughs> I've like Google search busted business bureau Reddit to see like if people mm-hmm. are talking because I was so nervous. Right. Um, but it's just been like in stray comment threads of podcast recommendations of just like this That's is a really awesome. good podcast. Oh, I know. Cute. So I've been really mean to Redditors and I, wow. I needed to come forward and say I'm sorry. A wholesome Reddit discussion. That's nuts. I know. Never thought it would be possible. I but, like Reddit. Shout out to the incels. <laughs> shout out to y'all. <laughs> Today's episode is part two of Kellogg, Brown, and Root covering their time in Iraq. Mm. I know I said this when we did our first recording that was a failure, but I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Having created a podcast hitherto uninterested in the machinations of U.S. foreign policy, Mm. I regret to inform you both that we do need to get a basic timeline of the Iraq war (sighs) before we launch into this episode. At least some historical context. I hate timelines. They suck. That's why this is just for the girls' timeline. For the girls. So please note that this is not my area of expertise. I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. Mm. Please do the reading, everybody. Uh, Do the reading class. I can't explain this to you all because I'm a comedian. Don't sue us. I will do my best to be accurate, as I always do, but just know that in your brain. August of 1990. Saddam Hussein leads an invasion into Kuwait because Hussein's government believed that Kuwaiti oil profits are for everybody Mm. in Iraq. They're for the girls. The Hussein-led invasion of Kuwait was largely condemned by most countries around the globe, 42 of whom supported the U.S. in its consequent military action in Kuwait to drive Iraqi soldiers out. Ten years later, <clears throat> nine, <laughs> <laughs> eleven. Got the lowest script. I'm getting so much worse you can at the do better voice. Than that. I know. I know that you can do better than that. Nine eleven was bad. <laughs> <laughs> So dis- Eight out of ten. So distractingly good. Only because I know that I I have listened to you hit. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Hang on, let me do a siren. Are real you quick. the teacher from? 
What's that movie where Miles Teller has to play the drums? Whiplash. Whiplash? Are you the teacher from Whiplash? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Lewis Griffin saying Whiplash is insane. <laughs> Amy's like standing over me screaming. While I'm like, <laughs> like, Peter, get in the car! Again! Again! <laughs> Again! <laughs> I'm like throwing things. You're weeping. Saying 9-11. <laughs> Okay, give us one more, please. Jesus Christ! Okay. 9-11 was bad. That's, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. scary. <laughs> That's a terrifying skill you have. That was really good. Thank you. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks to the person who believes in me most. <laughs> Amy, no. You're welcome. As a child, I, like 57% of the American public, according to the Pew Research Center, believed Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11. In both researching this podcast and being an adult who has Twitter.com, do know that this is demonstrably false. I additionally know now that this was false. It was known to be false at the time. People said it to George Bush's face at the time that Saddam Hussein did not have anything to do with 9-11. But still... His administration, him included, uh, made a series of statements to the public implicitly tying Saddam Hussein to al-Qaeda, which did 9-11. In October of 2002, he made statements like this, quote, We know that Iraq and al-Qaeda terrorist networks share a common enemy, the United States of America. We know that Iraq and al-Qaeda have had high-level contacts that go back a decade. So again, 57% of the public believes that Iraq has something to do with 9-11. Public support for the war is massive. And then we go. (laughs) It's crazy. Using a terrorist attack to justify invading another place that has nothing to do with it? That's nuts. I can't believe we did that. That's crazy. (laughs) Have never uh, supported or done anything like that before or since. We've grown up. Thank God we've changed. It would be so embarrassing if we didn't. I did a bunch. It'd be so embarrassing. I did a bunch of research about 9-11 because I just like couldn't let it go because I was like, I've never bothered looking into like why it happened or like who did it or whatever. Isn't Osama bin Laden a Nepo baby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nepo billionaire baby. Who, this is the one thing I kept in from all the research. I had three pages I had to delete. (laughs) 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 Because I was like, this is a business podcast. Why am I talking about this? Um, But Osama bin Laden fucking hated Saddam Hussein. Um, bin Laden's biographer told Vanity Fair, quote, Osama bin Laden condemned Saddam Hussein in my interview. He gave such kind of abuses that it was difficult for me to write down, calling Hussein a socialist motherfucker. Bin Laden said, quote, the land of the Arab world, the land is like a mother, and Saddam Hussein is fucking his mother. <laughs> gagged. Gooped. He, gagged, gooped. <laughs> Listen, he had some points. <laughs> <laughs> Oedipus who? (laughs) (laughs) Oedipus Hussein? (laughs) Oedipus had nothing to do with 9-11. I will say this again. Oedipus Hussein Obama. Oh, it's just what's crazy about that is I remember back then people being like, "Do you know what Obama's fucking middle name is? It's Hussein." <laughs> That's so. And you're like, like you don't even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, you I, idiot. I was so dumb to be a child at the time and not on the streets <laughs> protesting. <laughs> that feeling when you're dumb as a child at the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so in any case, through a deliberate campaign of misinformation perpetrated by both George Bush and Dick Cheney, Saddam Hussein becomes public enemy number one. Sorry to this man. Shortly after 9-11. And reminder... October 10th, 2002, the U.S. passed a resolution giving George Bush the power to use force in Iraq, quote, as he deems necessary and appropriate. Like, I know I said this like three episodes ago, but I just needed to re- mm. give a reminder. So Saddam Hussein, through a delusion I barely understand, becomes Delulu. the most wanted man in the world over the next 10, like from the initial invasion of Kuwait in 1990, mm. over the next 10 years. Why do I say delusion? And here's another tangent before we go back into KBR. On April 11th, 2003, Army Brigadier General Vincent Brooks made a presentation at a U.S. Central Command briefing in Qatar. I'm like a sh- PowerPoint? I honestly don't know if it was a PowerPoint. He has props. Um, and we will discuss the props. Oh, I know. Okay. okay. Dramatic? Theatrical? I'm not sure if this was televised or not, but somehow the information from what he said in the meeting goes public, uh, causing a frenzy after. Here's what he does. <clears throat> Who snitched? I, I imagine that Brooks was sitting during the meeting, smiling, chuckling, waiting for the spotlight uh, before his speech, where he whips out a custom set of playing cards. The Ace no. of Spades has a photo of Saddam Hussein with like little facts what? about him on the bottom. And all 52 cards are like different people that are associated with Saddam Hussein. His sons are the other two aces or two of the other aces. Um, and like a detailed list of like Hussein's government, enemies, occupation, hobbies, I like to imagine, uh, on these playing cards. Right. This That's is fan art. Crazy. This is merch. It, it's literally merch. So, like I said, the cards contained in numeric order a list of targets in Iraq by name with, like, little facts and whatever. Delusional. According to Lisa Burgess, writing for Stars and Stripes, from the moment these cards were revealed, the U.S. public at large went nuts printing their own versions of them. The U.S. government released a public PDF <laughs> of these cards for, like, oh my God. eBay sellers to download, create into cards, and then resell. It was like this a— This is propaganda. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> It's humiliating to be a citizen of the United States. Um, And I wanted to tell you both about that because I couldn't not include it. Facts. So 2003, we we invade Iraq. Again, can't emphasize this enough. Wrong struggle, girl. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what are our goals in Iraq? Oil. (laughs) (laughs) Girls. Uh, first and foremost, Saddam Hussein, he's got to go. He's got weapons of mass destruction. Again, mm. proven false. Uh, he's got weapons of mass destruction, and we got to stop him. To do that, we need to send over military force, like a ton of military force, to dismantle Saddam's regime. This is like, you know, the quote-unquote reasons that we're going. Two, mm-hmm. Saddam's government has created mass poverty, chaos in Iraq. We will go to reconstruct the economy and liberate Iraqi people so that they can become a successful country. How will we revitalize the economy? Well, in part, we will personally rebuild Iraq's oil infrastructure and then totally give them those oil fields back. Don't worry, guys. And then also, uh, KBR, a subsidiary of, like I said, oil giant Halliburton, is awarded a ton of said oil contracts as well as keeping the aforementioned soldiers like housed and fed. Mm. So we've got mm. a twofold strategy for KBR in Iraq. Number one, oil. Number two, soldiers. Like keeping them fed, rested, w- w- entertained, mm. <laughs> as it were. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's start by talking about the soldiers in Iraq. How did that go? Okay. How did we do, KBR? Uh, that's what this episode is going to be discussing. Uh, 
Let's start with the impressive aspect of KBR's work regarding soldiers' living situations overseas. Operation Iraqi Freedom, kicking off with the March 2003 invasion of the country, begat enough warfare and violence to necessitate an exponential increase in soldiers on the ground. Because of this, KBR reasonably struggled greatly to meet the demands of their log cap contract, as it was indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, IDIQ. If the U.S. says we're adding more troops, it's KBR's job to, like, find more beds, find food, just, like, fucking feed Mm -hmm. them somehow, right? So their initial task was to set up 50,000 soldiers' worth of camps. I'm assuming this is April of 2003. By June, this was 120,000 soldiers' worth of stuff. Whoa, by March, so more than double. By March 2004, they had built the equivalent of five dozen American towns for 211,000 soldiers. This is from T. Christian Miller's Blood Money, linked in the show notes. We've talked about this book a lot. Shouts. Quote, by then, by March 2004, the company had served 60 million meals, hauled off 3 million cubic meters of trash, cleaned 1 million portable toilets, and washed 1.5 million bundles of laundry. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Mama, they're washing. <laughs> Mama. But were, they, but were they charging for... Five million loads of laundry? (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you're guessing where this is going. (laughs) But I'm going to keep borrowing greatly from Miller's book. Uh, I just want to read more of it. He's a really good writer. And also he was there himself to witness some of this. So I'm going to... So he was also one of the loads of laundry. (laughs) (laughs) They put him in the dryer so he could keep writing. Go round and round. (laughs) Rock and Robin. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Quote, whenever I went to Iraq, I never had any doubts that KBR was delivering for American soldiers. Camp Liberty, the U.S. military headquarters in Iraq, was a prime example. Located next to the Baghdad airport, the camp was a small city. Soldiers indulged at KBR's dining facilities. The mess halls held burrito bars with nachos, fry cook stands where hot dogs and hamburgers were made to order, and Baskin-Robbins ice cream sundae booths. KBR provided support for other restaurants, too. Subway occupied a rickety booth by the military airstrip. Burger King had a dusty white trailer on wheels that was hauled around the grounds. Sounds right. (laughs) KBR helped the military mount a PX, a post exchange, on base that was the size of an airplane hangar. It sold everything from CDs by Fatboy Slim, Dave Matthews, and Beyonce (laughs) to barbecued pork rinds to Red Bull and Game Boys. Camp Liberty had workout rooms, salsa dancing, rows of computers connected to the internet, buses driven by Pakistanis made regular rounds at the base, their speakers cranking out hypnotic Middle Eastern synth pop. At Camp Stryker, there was even a wooden crate lined with plastic for a full-body Southern Baptist baptism. It was one camp, but there were dozens of others just like it all around Iraq. KBR had scooped up slices of suburban America and scattered them across a desert land 6,000 miles away. Damn. That's wild. Chris Jenner works hard. KBR works harder. <laughs> I think I said that last time. <laughs> yeah, but I liked it. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> so, does that give you to an like a, a picture of kind of what we're talking about here? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh the the gun convention mm. that we were talking about <laughs> during the school shooting episode. Yeah. Like it's where there's just like Jimmy Buffett playing and like <laughs> You know, cocktail waiters walking around with tiny little hors d'oeuvres on platters, but then everyone is sitting around discussing, like, how to 
Yeah, it's just discussing bizarre. like blast shells inside of a door and like yeah. how to best make a door. Yeah, yeah, it really is giving Jimmy Buffett and cocktail weenies. Yeah, <laughs> except it, you know it's CDs by Fat Boy Slim <laughs> and Burger King in a rickety shack. Shout out to Fat Boy Slim. Hope they're hope they're okay. Yeah, as the um, resident uh, probably knowledge haver of Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> Oh, what year did Fatboy Slim gain popularity? I feel like, this is just a guess, I feel like it's probably like 2003. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty solid guess. KBR displayed a tremendous amount of effort and success in its mission of soldier accommodations. And to be clear, this is an observation. It is not praise. Mm. It's it's like South Park. (laughs) Because I I don't know if you guys know this about South Park. They write, voice, and animate Every episode of that within a week. That is really like, yeah. That's insane. I can't believe this isn't common knowledge. <laughs> it blows my mind. But yeah, like they sit in their studio and like they'll break the story and they'll write it. This one specific guy, Trey Parker, usually sits down and he pens like almost every episode. Mm. Um, and then he and Matt Stone do like most of the voices. You know, yeah. they pitch up or whatever, and then they animate it in house and then they deliver it in a week. It is a tremendous amount of effort on display. It's hard to animate. It's hard to voice. It's hard to write. That does not make it good. (laughs) (laughs) So much like KBR setting up like Subway and Burger King and CDs of Fat Boy Slim booths, it's a tremendous amount of effort on display. Nuts. (laughs) And I'm (laughs) I'm ignoring you, Amy. When I say it is impressive, I am not saying that as a compliment. It is just impressive and like the literal definition of the word like awesome. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just making it clear. Yeah. I'm not trying to simp for we the. Were, yeah, we were a little confused where you stood. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that we have that important context. The Defense Contract Audit Agency is the body responsible for auditing private military contractors and reporting, mm-hmm. you know, fraud, waste, abuse. Okay, I- wait. So to clarify, this contract that KBR is operating under currently is the one that Bunny Greenhouse got fired over? Yeah. Bunny okay. G. All right. R.I.P. <laughs> she's still alive. Yeah. I think she's a teacher at a community college now. Oh, I good think. for her. Oh, my God. The Cool pivot. I know. I love that for her. The earliest big news story I could find was December of 2003, nine months into the war, alleging that KBR was already overbilling the government for services it was not providing, equipment it did not need, and staffing it did not follow through on. A month later, they would pay the government $6 million for overcharging and improper payments to two KBR employees, which $6 million as a result of overpayment to two people... Right. Amy's holding up her finger like two. (laughs) So this is like early blood in the water, right? Mm. The Defense Contract Audit Agency, again, are finding things quite early into the war. I struggled writing this next part, not because it's like traumatic or like content warning, but because I genuinely had no idea where to begin. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start with a story. Linda Warren is a woman who is tough as nails. Is a woman? She's a woman. (laughs) Linda Warren is a woman. She was a Marine Corps veteran turned career post office woman. I like to imagine her career in the post office was like battling dogs that people can't (laughs) fucking tame. (laughs) Swatting with a newspaper like it's a sword. (laughs) (laughs) She... 
gave birth to four sons, all of whom would go on to serve in the military in some capacity. She's a boy mom. Around 2003, seeing the writing on the wall that her sons would be deployed, she decided to get a job with KBR as the head of, like, laundry because, mm. quote, I did not want them to be afraid. Oh, she's a boy mom! <laughs> I wrote in the script, boy moms are crazy. Yeah, she's not a mom of boys, she's a boy mom, and there's a difference. <laughs> she said, I will what go... What is the difference? So a mom of boys is just is literally just a mom who has boys, but a boy mom is someone who is like, I will sacrifice everyone else for my sons. My sons can do no wrong. She's got like a jersey with her son's n- name and yeah. number on it. She will deploy herself to Iraq to go <laughs> yeah. make sure her sons aren't afraid. <laughs> like if her, her son does something shitty to a woman, she's like, well, why did she do that? Uh-huh. Why did she have feelings? <laughs> Couldn't be me. He couldn't be you or your mom. Your mom is not a boy mom. She, your mom's a main character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am a tertiary <laughs> character in the real life story that is my mom's life. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's how we should all be sometimes. Yeah. Moms just deserve more they do. of the spotlight. Shout out to moms, dude. Wait, so she took a job as head of laundry. So does that mean that she was literally also in Iraq? Yes. Like she oh was my God. in Iraq, like leading other people doing laundry uh, so what? that she could be like near her sons. Yeah. Cause she Jesus should. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I know. Well, if she was... I was her son, that would make me feel worse. <laughs> Wouldn't it be epic to like bully a private whose mommy was like, doing... <laughs> your yeah. mommy followed you to Iraq? <laughs> oh my God. It w- you would never recover. No. <laughs> it's a devastating. Because there's no coming back from that. Once your mom yeets herself to Iraq. <laughs> yeah, lunch table is done. You can't un your mom. That's your pension on the line. Try. You said lunch table's done. Lunch table's done, yeah. <laughs> You're eating in the library. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're eating, you're eating in the stall. <laughs> nah, you're eating in the airplane hangar next to the fat boy Slim Records. <laughs> That's always confused Hidden me like among movies. The stacks. It always confused me in movies where someone's like, oh, that kid doesn't have any friends, so they go to the bathroom to eat alone? Disgusting. Right, like go to a classroom or just go in the There's hallway. There's so many other places to eat by yourself. Yeah, the bathroom, that's so humiliating yeah. Ugh, and gross. Nasty. Unsanitary. That's why you're unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anything, you're adding to your own mythos and like not in a good yeah. way. Because I would have been the one to be like, oh, don't talk to her. She eats in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, literally the worst place to eat. (laughs) So Linda Warren is a woman who loves the military. She and everyone who appeared on the same panel that I'm about to be quoting from that she appeared on in April 2008 had similar things to say. They would do anything for the United States and the military. It's cringe. But but that's the exact reason that I'd like to share some of her testimony. For context... KBR had gotten into some trouble previously for the amount that it was billing the government for meals served. The government believed that they should count each individual served and not the amount of food they prepared. And KBR, and I agree with them on this, um, KBR is like, we should do it wedding style. We're like, if we prepare food for 400 people, but only 350 show up, we should still get paid for the 400 people. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I would agree with that logic. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fair. Um, but... They had gotten in trouble for, like, overbilling for meals. That is kind of part of their defense, right? Mm. Of course, given the log cap agreement, the government would pay bare minimum for the amount of meals they cooked, plus a guaranteed profit for the company. Mm. Just a reminder, mm-hmm. that's how the log cap contract yeah. works. Mm-hmm. Um, 
KBR, according to Linda Warren, start abusing that immediately. Uh, this is her talking about a recreation facility. Quote, Each person who walked through the door signed the sheet. That was the actual count. The morale welfare recreation facilities were broken down into different rooms, such as the gym, movie theater, game room, video game room, and so on. Every time one of the troops went into another room where an activity was going on, he was counted again. It was possible for a soldier to be counted eight times or more during their short what? stay in the building. What? <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> she even continued saying that she would oftentimes like go rogue and like count the exact number of people that she saw in the building and submit that. It would just be changed by the morning. Like... <laughs> <gasps> No. The testimony is crazy. It's also linked in the description. That's nuts. KBR is doing the equivalent of like getting up to 500 words on an essay by writing <laughs> in white in the footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done that? I'm very verbose. I never had to. Yeah, neither did I. But there were a couple times where, you know, like I feel like I got the assignment done and mm-hmm. I think I did a good job. And I am not one to use the passive voice or flowery language. Ooh. So, you know what? I lied. I, I did do it a couple times. It never yeah. worked. Because then I just realized, I'm just going to submit it under however many amount of words. But it's good. So, if it's mm-hmm. not the exact word count, go fuck yourself. Well, if you yeah. ain't she and you ain't trying. <laughs> <laughs> did you do it? No. Because I'm a good angel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little sweetie pie. Yeah. So, uh, pathetic is all I'm going to say <laughs> about that. At least the food was good, though, right? Wrong. No, no, <laughs> no. no. You were just saying that they had, like, Subway and, like, Baskin Robbins serving up ice cream sundaes. And Burger King. Okay, <laughs> and for, Burger let's King. Let's not forget them. They did not have the Impossible Whoppers in 2003, though. Uh, so it's yeah, devastating. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it was impossible in the sense that they were there. That's so true. <laughs> we had a different kind of impossible wobble. So it's not to say that 100% of their food was good or bad, mm. but this testimony is pretty damning when it comes to the corners that were cut for a lot of like standard soldier meals. Uh, this is a 2005 testimony from Rory Mayberry. Quote, Food items were being brought into the base that were outdated or expired as much as a year. We were told by KBR food service managers to use these items anyway. This food was fed to the troops. A lot of these were frozen foods, chicken, beef, fish, and ice cream. For the trucks that were hit by convoy fire and bombings, we were told to go into the trucks and remove the food items and use them after removing the bullets and shrapnel from the bad food that was hit. We were then told to turn the removed bullets over to the managers as souvenirs. <laughs> when I had the military check some of the food shipments, they would turn the food items away. But there wasn't any marking of the record, so KBR would just send the food to a different base for use. Ooh. Bullet chicken. <laughs> That's so nasty. Yeah. There's a, it's a very rich and dense text that I just read because it's like, yeah. wait, did you just say souvenirs? Yes, I did just say souvenirs. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Something I didn't elaborate on necessarily in this script is that KBR employees were notorious for looting. Like the, anything that was shiny, metal, war-ish, mama, they were taking it. Mm. They were using it to barter with Iraqi civilians. <gasps> like that, 
this is something that Linda Warren also goes over extensively in her testimony. But yes, um, I did say, in fact, you know, picking <laughs> picking a bullet out of a raw chicken and then keeping it as a souvenir. That is crazy. Like just nut nut. And at what point do you have a are we the baddies moment? <laughs> <laughs> are we the baddies? <laughs> what is that from? I, I was trying no to idea. figure that out. I have no idea. I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. But I'm like, <laughs> I forget where this came from. <laughs> Amy, you're making a face. Amy, are you the baddie? <laughs> <laughs> she made an awesome face reaction, but this is an audio-only medium. <laughs> As a treat for the two of you. <laughs> I'm still thinking about it because, like, these are normies. Mm-hmm. who are deployed to Iraq to essentially be like custodians, cafeteria people, like running the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And like, of you know, if they're, if they're just handed a bu- bullet and that was just like in some chicken, like if I was there and I was, and I was an employee, I'd be like, okay, cool. I, and I put it in my pocket. <laughs> But the crazy thing to me is, like, then going over to an Iraqi civilian and being like, hey, you want this bullet? I found it in some chicken. I'll <laughs> trade you for a Fat Boy Slim CD. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just so bizarre to me. Yeah. I have another food-related anecdote for the two of you. Uh, it's less gross. Okay. It's gross in, a, in more of an esoteric sense. And uh, the chicken is already a year expired. <laughs> and it's about to be sent to some other 19-year-old to go eat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a 19-year-old will eat anything. <laughs> that's, that's so true. That's true. <laughs> so that's the part that they got right. But everything else is kind of really messed up. So this is another anecdote that comes from uh, Miller's Blood Money book. Uh, quote, in another case, Halliburton charged the government $617,000 for soda pop for 2,500 soldiers, an amount equal to $247 of soda per soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of awesome. See, now we're just getting sloppy. <laughs> I, I have to say it, epic. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, does this count as money laundering? No. No. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't really, I, I have a hard... It's definitely cooking the books. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's cooking the books, it's bad. <laughs> but I don't know if it's the definition of money. Maybe it is the definition R- of money laundering. Uh, listeners, write in. <laughs> That'll be the, the poll. <laughs> what is money laundering? <laughs> what is and money laundering? Not, and yeah. there's no short response option, so they just have to <laughs> exactly. select a yes or no. <laughs> Mind you, in the, both the cases of laundry and food, there are very little accurate quantities of, like, how many troop meals were served spoiled. There's no mm. accurate auditing. The Defense Contract Audit Agency that I mentioned earlier, they do find over and over again, year after year, that KBR does not have functioning internal reporting systems to keep people accountable. Wow. They also, per the Chicago Tribune, this is an article I'll be reading later, but they have a 25-person team buried in the basement of KBR's Houston headquarters that have, quote, no communication with the folks on the ground in Iraq and therefore have no real way of tracking if the contracts are being fulfilled. Wow. And also, the DCAA, like I said, 25-person team in charge of auditing billions of dollars of contracts in Iraq. 
there's no way they're going to catch everything. So, when it's like, I- you can't find us because I can't read. <laughs> And also, like, if they, of course, they're not going to keep accurate records because then that means that there's somewhere to prove that they're, you know, cooking the books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was the nicest, most polite cooking the books I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Excuse me. Cooking the books. Are you cooking the books? I believe you people are cooking the books. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Yum, 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 yum. So, speaking. I like my books fried. I wanted to add to the bit, but I think that was just the funniest it was going to get. (laughs) Speaking of things not being kept track of, I want to move on to nails. Okay. This is a question and answer from the testimony of Henry Bunting, a former Halliburton employee. This testimony is circa February 13th, 2004, Valentine's Day Eve. (laughs) He spent his time doing this before Congress. (laughs) Um, So the question is, and this is like a congressperson, I think. There's another element here in your testimony that talks about an order for 50,000 pounds of nails. Wrong nails, wrong product? Oh. Bunting responds, they were nails that were too short. And, the, and then the, he, inter- he gets interrupted. 50,000 pounds of nails that were too short? 50,000 pounds. Sitting in a warehouse? No, uh, not sitting in a warehouse. Just sitting on the ground. They don't have a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> So, to recap what he is talking about, <laughs> KVR ordered 50,000 pounds of nails that they never used and just put on the ground. Because huh. they get a 1% profit from what they ordered because oh of the luck of agreement. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That is insane. <laughs> 50,000. They just think- did it for fun. Yeah, <laughs> needless. They literally just did it for fun. Like ne- I imagine, needless book cooking over here. Imagine being in the nail factory, be like, "God damn, we have such a big order of nails. <laughs> I gotta get after this." Yeah. You know, people are just pissed. They go to the nail factory every day. They make fifty thousand pounds worth of nails just to get upset over it, just put on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in about, like pallets, right? Yeah. Just, like, Are you talking about the rusted. worker of a nail factory, like it's a mom and pop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's an Etsy shop with like one woman sweating in an attic. Of I a gotta get house. these nails out before Christmas. <laughs> She's making an Instagram reel. Thank you so much for supporting my shop. Whoever placed the order for fifty thousand pounds of nails, I got to pay for my groceries this week because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to imagine they got it from an Etsy seller. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Here's another thing. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like I said, it's hard to narrativize these events because they are so frequent, so overwhelming, and so batshit that it just yeah. sounds like I'm making it up. <laughs> this is like the golden corral of like messed up stuff. A golden the cor- golden corral. Like variety plate? Yeah. You- no, like they have, they ha- don't they have a buffet? Okay, yeah. I, I guess I don't really. I thought you were like referring to it as like, this is like the big deal. Yeah. The- and I was like, too. golden corral's not like. Oh, I'm pretty sure that route. golden corral is like a fast casual yeah. restaurant. <laughs> but you're, you're saying it's golden corral because of the variety of items. Yeah, not yes. like it's not the you. McDonald's of yeah. war profiteering. Oh. You know, like that's no. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. All right, joke has been explained. Everyone laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, we can so move on. So here's another thing about waste when it comes to things like nails. Um, this is a press release from, I believe, Constantine Cannon, who represented KBR employees what suing... What name? I know. That's kind of a cool name. It's a huge slave of a name. Uh, this is from her press release about a successful settlement with KBR about allegations of waste, fraud, and abuse. Okay, quote. The facts show... KBR was ordering new electrical wire when it had up to 65 years worth of inventory of such wire on hand. No. (laughs) That's nuts. There was enough stock (laughs) of four other items to last 32 years, 15 years, 13 years, and 12 years. This practice resulted in massive amounts of excess material paid for by U.S. taxpayers, much of which was turned over to the government of Iraq or abandoned at the end of the war. The whistleblower's internal complaints to the company were routinely ignored. And they did this just so they could get that profit percentage? I mean, you can't say why anyone does anything, but, like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why else would you order over 65 years' worth of electrical wire? Now, part of what they'll say, right, reasonably, in my opinion, is, like, well— there's an exponential increase in soldiers. Mm. Like we have to be ready for anything. We have to be ready with more showers that like require electricity. We have to be ready for this sort of thing, but it's just excessive. Yeah. You know, like you have years worth of this stuff already. 65 years worth of electrical wire. Like (laughs) it's just, you can't argue that anymore. Yeah, You know, like, we would have to be in fucking World War Seven, where it's like you are supplying showers for the entire globe, you know, for this to be, I don't know, worth it in excess of this much. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's Ugh. nuts. And it's just sitting there. And it's just sitting there. Or it, this isn't in this episode. <sighs> Should I spoil it? Um, so... Eventually, this has to go somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is not in my script. This is just me. I was going to ask about that. Well. A thing that they would do, because they're not like Waste Management Inc. They don't have experience necessarily in uh, creating a trash facility that would environmentally consciously deal with these items. Mm -hmm. So what they did instead was create burn pits, which (gasps) were just massive dumps that they would just light on fire. (laughs) No. We'll talk about it a lot in the next episode. That's um, I'm sorry to drop this on you this far into the episode, but there's going to be a part three. Yeah. I, I couldn't get to it in this. But the answer is, when you have 50,000 pounds of nails and 65 years worth of electrical wire, just set it on fire. Sorry for all those Blender Bluid haters out there. <laughs> guess you got to listen to me a little bit more. She's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so... Again, like you're emphasizing, Blue, this is all in the name of sweet guaranteed profit. There's a, a representative named Mike Ross, who is an Arkansas Democrat. Mike Ross from Suits. Oh. This character in Suits. Is it like a real... Is Suits based on real life? <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> really funny. I was like, what a niche character yeah. who's on Suits. <laughs> suits is like the crown. Uh. <laughs> Wait. Was that a joke? You- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so Suits is a soap opera. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he was married uh, in the show. He got married to Meghan Markle's character. Oh. That's where Meghan Markle's from, Suits. I did know that. Yeah. That's frequently a trivia question when I'm hosting Suits. trivia. Um, but he, on the House floor, January 30th, 2007, had this to say, quote, 
$100.4 billion was the cost of the war for 2006. Over $400 billion has been spent since the war began. That's $8.4 billion a month, $275 million a day, $12 million an hour of your tax money. The tax money of every hardworking man and woman in this country. That's being spent, in part, for 50,000 pounds of nails to go nowhere. That's infuriating. I am so close to burning this whole place down <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Say more about it. And you're telling me I got to pay my student loans? Are you nuts? <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> I'll trade you student loans for 50,000 nails. <laughs> <laughs> you should go on Etsy and put that up immediately. <laughs> Yeah, go put that on Chicago Queer Buy Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I realize there's a lot of information and not a lot of jokes. The joke really just is the quotes that I've been reading, like it wrote itself. But the more you get to reading, the more you have to ask yourself, like, okay, surely it can't all be overbilling, overcharging, etc. Otherwise, Iraq would be filled, like, to the brim with nails and fat boy slim CDs. We're talking billions of dollars here. There has to be another piece of the puzzle, right? Hundreds of billions. Hundreds of billions of dollars. So one... Pretty hilarious aspect of this piece of the puzzle comes from the aforementioned Chicago Tribune report about several KBR people who actually went to prison for log cap fraud. I know. Who would have thought? Not to get too into the salacious details, but they had a guy literally wear a wire and follow KBR people around. And at one point, the guy with the wire is like, hey, y'all, I just received a bribe of $63,000. Like, should I return it? And the KBR guys are like, no, just drop some phony contracts and say we, like, you know, served nails or did whatever. <laughs> like, oh. it was so obvious. <laughs> My God. Wow. So. Hey, um, should I do a crime? <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> yes, girl. Yeah, girl. Here's exactly how to do it. Mm. Um, Patreon subscribers who listen to my bonus episodes will recognize this is a familiar tactic. Uh, I do have an episode about this, about the menagerie of healthcare fraud circa 2004. Mm. Oh my God, Uh, 2004. The FBI was doing this at the same time as they were doing healthcare fraud. Oh shit. (laughs) I love, they were really in their wire era in the early 2000s. (laughs) They were in their bag. (laughs) So, there's a few parts of the Tribune article I want to quote. Uh, It's written by David Jackson and Jason Grotto in 2008, like kind of after all the court proceedings happen. But the events they're talking about are through the early 2000s. Um, This part talks about a guy with the last name of Maison defending himself in the face of accusations that he's been intentionally inflating contract numbers. Mm. Okay. Quote, Maison had pled not guilty to charges that he inflated a fuel contract. His attorneys say that the fuel subcontract was accidentally inflated when figures were converted from U.S. dollars to Kuwaiti dinars, then back to U.S. dollars. At least 22 KBR troop support subcontracts were inflated through similar errors. And my takeaway from that is like, do you understand that that's worse? (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's like, no, he didn't inflate numbers on purpose. He just did what many other KBR contracts do, which is be a fucking idiot (laughs) and not know that you've converted from dollars to dinars back to dollars, which inflates it. Oh, my God. That that pissed me off. I'll say it. (laughs) (laughs) So when it is not uh, deliberate avarice, it is fucking stupidity. (laughs) It's moron shit going on. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. You know what I just thought of, though? Hmm. Um, does this mean 
that Fat Boy Slim CD sales have actually been heavily inflated. Whoa. Beyonce's Dangerously in Love did not chart appropriately. Yep. Yeah, it we, was got a, we got a grade on a curve go back. here. Yeah, I go back. I think there's some people in the early 2000s who maybe need some Stop reality the steal. checks. <laughs> If you're in, if you're in line to buy a Fat Boy Slim CD, stay in line. <laughs> so, I would highly recommend this Tribune article. There's so many other nuggets that I could not get to, uh, but follow me here. Watch this space. I thought, okay, having no frame of reference, and Amy, you said something like this earlier, um, that KBR. Okay, we'll take a bunch of people in the United States and deploy them over to Iraq to do laundry, to cook, Mm -hmm. to sell CDs, to do whatever. Um, This is actually not the case. KBR has the authorization to hire a subcontractor in the area to scout locals and deliver manpower. The LLC equivalent of I know a guy multiplied by like the thousands. So stay with me here. It would cost a lot of money to hire one of the three of us to go over to Iraq just to, like, press start on a laundry machine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs a lot of money to pay the U.S. minimum wage, our pathetic minimum wage, but it's still more than most countries, right? Um, and fly them all the way out to Iraq, have to mm-hmm. field their inevitable lawyerly complaints, you know? So, KBR hires a subcontractor that knows a lot of guys in the area. What could go wrong? Mm-hmm. So let's circle back to boy mom, Linda Warren. Like I said, her job was laundry, but her job was not to do laundry. Her job was to supervise laundry. Here's what she has to say about the conditions that she worked in. Quote, the laundry building where I worked was a metal, non-insulated structure with no air conditioning. I estimate it was 120 degrees inside the building. The Iraqi employees of KBR had to drink from the potable water tank that was plumbed inside the building. But on this day, the tanks were being rinsed out and the water was coming out from the tap brown and seemed unhealthy to drink. My pregnant workers became ill from drinking the water, (sighs) so I walked over to the KBR offices to get cases of water to give to my workers who were all suffering from the heat. Mm -hmm. The KBR chief of services saw me take the water. He immediately demanded that I come to his office, which I did. He told me I was being written up for giving KBR property away to Iraqis. What? So, Linda Warren continued to do little things like that. She had her phone privileges taken away. All communication with her family, the people she was over there to, like, make feel safe, she could not talk to them anymore. Uh, for repeatedly standing up to, like, KBR looting, KBR mistreatment of workers, whatever. Continuously, she was reshuffled to different camps where she describes the exact same conditions of, like, no air conditioning, turgid heat, uh, tap water that is disgusting to drink. Notably, also, she calls it Fallujah. (laughs) She's like, I went to Fallujah. (laughs) Anyways, when she was finally given phone access again, under the condition that she had to call in front of all of her managers, she finally called the KBR ethics line and got extradited back to the United States where she felt compelled to advocate on behalf of the people that KBR is fucking over. Mm. She's no Don Luce, but it's wild that a woman who loves the military as much as her was still bullied, battered around for trying to do the right thing. Yeah. 
So, and it's uh, nuts that like instead of buying cases of water in case the potable tanks need to be flushed out or whatever, they're buying 64 years <laughs> worth of electrical wire. Like if you're going to stockpile something, stockpile something you'll actually use. It's someone who's good at budgeting, help me yeah. <laughs> sort this. <laughs> Linda, if you're listening to this, I apologize for calling you a boy mom. You're actually just mother. <laughs> If Linda Warren heard this podcast, that would be undecipherable to her. <laughs> she would have no idea what you are talking what about. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, of course I am mother. <laughs> I have four sons. <laughs> I love to hear them So, also, you know, I, I just want to take a second to again reflect on the horrible working conditions that these, like, subcontracted out Iraqi people were dealing with. Right? They're paid pennies to come press, you know, start on the laundry machines and do tons of laundry a day. 1.5 million things of laundry, whatever I said earlier. Um, So this is starting to uh, foreshadow, I guess, a bad picture. (laughs) Can you imagine where this is going? Bad places. (laughs) Yeah. So that's enough about women. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk more about how KBR was able to achieve uh, cost-cutting measures, Mm. as it were. So here's another quote from the Trib article I mentioned earlier. Quote, The Army log cap contract required KBR to medically screen thousands of kitchen workers that subcontractors imported from impoverished villages like Nepal, Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh. But when Pentagon officials asked for the medical records in March 2004, they were presented with bogus files for 550 workers. KBR then retested the 550 workers at a Kuwait City clinic and found 172 of them were positive for hepatitis A. <gasps> what? Oops. What? <laughs> and then, you know, the trip sort of frames this as like, man, we really put our soldiers at risk by having so many people with hepatitis A, like, serving them food. But it's also like, <laughs> so many people had hepatitis A and just no care because, like, they're supposed to be medically screened. And theoretically, there was treatment available that they just couldn't get because like everyone was cutting corners. Nobody cared. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's nuts. Yeah. That's wild. It's not it's, it's like <sighs> it's just it. wanton disregard for everyone's health and yeah. safety. Yeah. It, this is, it only gets worse from here, so no! I'll let you two reflect on how good it is right now. <laughs> All right. So, okay, the water's brown right now. We'll be black soon. <laughs> <laughs> black and in. tepid. <laughs> and sticky. Yeah, oil. Mm, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so, again, the Trib is kind of uninterested in the plight of, like, the kitchen workers who have hepatitis A. Mm. But luckily, there are reporters who are interested, like Ariana Unjung Cha of the Washington Post. She extensively interviewed this guy named Dharmaplan Ajaya Kumar and a couple of other dudes who were like described the deplorable conditions they worked in while being subcontracted under KBR. So this is from her article, Underclass Workers, sorry, this is from her article titled Underclass of Workers Created in Iraq. Quote, While their Western managers slept in air-conditioned trailers, they were crammed into tents in 100-degree-plus temperatures, the cooks set aside some rice and curry for them, but it was not enough, and they had to supplement their food with whatever was left over from soldiers' meals, which was often nothing. 
They were told they could not take the filtered bottled water, but instead must drink the Iraqi tap water that was poured into aluminum buckets with tablets of chlorine and chunks of ice. No. The workers would pick through soldiers' trash and retrieve empty water bottles that they would use as cups. Ajayu Kumar said he threw up for weeks from the contaminated water. He, he was allowed to see an Iraqi doctor who gave him one pill without explaining <gasps> what it was for and which did nothing to alleviate his symptoms. What? <laughs> what? I, I unfortunately do find that quite funny because Ajayu Kumar is still alive. Mm. <laughs> Imagine going to an Iraqi doctor who gives you like <laughs> an Advil. <laughs> You're like, I've been throwing up for weeks because of contaminated water. And he's like, yo, have you heard of Tylenol? <laughs> uh, to further continue, the only thing Ajayu Kumar has from his time in Iraq is a certificate of appreciation from KBR. It thanks no. him for his help in the success. It thanks him for his help in the success of the, quote, dinning facility, dining is spelled wrong, at the camp. Thank you, the tribute on the eight and a half by 11 paper reads. Thank you for your tireless effort. (sighs) (laughs) What in the world? (sighs) Audio only medium, you two. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just I'm so disappointed with the human race. Yeah, that's not good. No. And reading things like this over and over again, it, it drives mm. you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just I don't understand this like the the unnecessary evils of this world. Like, I don't get. Okay, so again, this was not like KBR because higher, here's the oh, thing. Go for it. Like he. What's so weird to me about all this is, like, if KBR wants to rack up bills so that they can get that guaranteed profit, they could spend it on building reasonable accommodations and paying Mm -hmm. these subcontracted workers less than Americans, but still, like, a reasonable rate and, like, Mm -hmm. treating them well and spend a ridiculous amount of money that way. And then if the American government says, oh, you're spending too much, then KBR could be, like, scapegoating the U.S. government as the bad guys and then cutting costs like in different places instead of stockpiling electrical wire what i don't understand is why in an effort to make a profit they're spending ridiculous amounts of money but in places that don't benefit the people at all (laughs) you and me both sister (laughs) (laughs) that is the exact question that was on my mind while reading this i could not have said it any better than what you just did um i think in part it's easier to order 50,000 pounds of nails than it is to, I guess, to be a little bit fair to KBR, than it is to audit a subcontractor mm-hmm. or to continuously monitor their work. But, like, KBR employees are around. It's yeah. not like they're nowhere. You can see the deplorable conditions mm-hmm. of six men crammed into, like, a, a three-by-nine tent yeah. in 100-degree heat. And pregnant women drinking doo-doo water. And just, like, th- throwing up their brains. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can see that. <laughs> so it, it's just mind-boggling to me. But then, and this is no longer being fair to KBR. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been that fair to them. But, know. you know, then it would take a tremendous amount of effort to... Uh, report the subcontractor, have them fired, have a new subcontractor find new labor forces in Iraq instead of just fixing the problem in the first place. It's easier to just let it continue. Yeah, just buy those nails. Just buy those nails and shut up. So, uh, there are tens of thousands of people. Are the subcontractors also skimming off the top? Is that what's happening? Yes, because... 
this isn't in my script. This is just something that I read. Uh, oh. Oftentimes what they would do is approach men in impoverished countries and say, hey, uh, I can get you this sweet job in Iraq for an American subcon or for an American contractor. Uh, you're going to make awesome money. You, the only thing you have to do up front is just pay me two to $3,000 so we can get your medical screen, we can get your passport, your plane ticket, and after that, you're going to be making bank. Pay to play. Pay to play. Uh, never worked out like that. And there were several subcontractors that were accused of human trafficking. No! That's what this is. Is simply uh, lying to somebody and taking their manpower and like putting them in deplorable conditions that they cannot get out of because they do not have access to their own passport. Mm. The company does. They don't have the money or the transportation to get the fuck out. All they can do is continue to work at these facilities. That's what, that, that's the word for this, that's human trafficking. insane. Yeah. So... Yes, I wrote in the script, we've arrived at the human trafficking section of KBR's work in Iraq. <laughs> Hello and welcome. So this section, it is about KBR, right? Like, KBR is uh, culpably negligent in this situation, but it is not them doing the human trafficking. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit more from the Project on Government Oversight about this issue, I guess. Quote, in 2008... KBR conducted a special investigation at the subcontractor Najla's temporary labor camp and discovered a host of problems. Quote, living accommodations were not kept in a clean, orderly, sanitary condition. No subcontractor employees had protective body armor to include a Kevlar ballistic helmet and a ballistic vest with inserted plates, blah, blah, blah. Because again, remember, they're at fucking war. Yeah. Quote, the lack of body armor is troubling since insurgents in Iraq have killed many subcontract laborers uh, on base or traveling on convoys. To insurgents, third country national laborers are seen as part of the soft underbelly of the U.S. presence in Iraq. Meaning, they are seen as vital to U.S. efforts, but they're obviously not protected the way U.S. service members are. The KBR inspection found that laborers had inadequate living space as well. So this is still, I'm sorry, on the Project for Government Oversight. Mm. Um, but I'm going to stop talking about it for a second to emphasize, like, yeah, this whole time, everything that we've been talking about is while bullets are flying, bombs are dropping, mm. civilians getting killed, soldiers in combat. Um, when you have this subcontracted workforce that is not even provided protective armor, like, of course, Iraqis who are fighting with the U.S. are going to see that as an easy fucking target. And if there's no one to serve the food, then the soldiers will suffer as well. You know what I mean? So it's putting these people in a dangerous situation yeah. uh, and doing nothing to help them. Not taking their lives into account uh, for for what? For the sake of cutting corners and to profit. <laughs> I wonder, like, if you could ever get, like, a really patriotic person on this podcast and, like, run through this kind of stuff with them. Like, what, what would they say? What would the response be? Mm. Like, do you really think America's great? <laughs> well, this is how we treat people? What's crazy is that, like, Linda Warren, you know, I, I guess she supports her sons and whatever. She brought, like, an American flag signed by a bunch of Marines to her testimony. Like, to still say she loves this country. And even someone like that gets, like, fucking stepped on yeah. by KBR. But, you know, it's not like much came of her testimony. We still contract with KBR. We, in fact, up to at least 2012, still contract with Najla, the, the subcontractor was just talking about. <laughs> Linda and Bunny mm. got turned on. So 
back to the Project on Government Oversight, quote, within weeks, KBR acted on their findings. On November 20th of 2008, a KBR manager sent an email to the head of Najla providing a formal notification that Kellogg Brown Root Services, Inc. is formally rescinding the notice of award of the subcontract or whatever. The email added that KBR will report suspected trafficking in persons violations discovered at the various labor camps to the appropriate authorities. And it's oh, like, well, I'm glad they've made that commitment. That's nice of them. I, thank you for reading exactly what's in my script. <laughs> Great. What does this lead to? At least a report or some kind of action? No! <laughs> it didn't! The Project on Government Oversight article is maddening to read. When <sighs> P-O-G-O is, POGO is what I call them in my head. When POGO approaches CENTCOM, which would theoretically be the body responsible for these people, they're like, hey, what happened with this Najla thing? Uh, CENTCOM is like, I don't know. That's none of our business. It's a log cap program that's not under our purview. Every single person that uh, POGO approached after this to be like, hey, we're following up here. There was a human trafficking allegation. KBR stopped working with these people because of human trafficking. Did anything happen because of it? Every single person's like, what are you talking about? No. We'll keep an eye out, though. (laughs) You take care, neighbor. (laughs) I'll put on my human trafficking glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Me and the boys will take a walk around the neighborhood, see if we can find any of those human traffickers. (laughs) (laughs) Them in their matching jackets. Is this because no, log cap it's not is new. so new? <laughs> it's, I, it's a way to defer responsibility by way of extensive bureaucracy, right? Right. Like the central command, right. my understanding, and this could be fully wrong, this is me going way off script, but I think the central command is in charge of, um, you know, like military operations involving combat or intelligence and not necessarily soldier accommodations, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. This is from, based on nothing. Please don't believe me. I'm an engineer. <laughs> Um, so, you know, they would say, okay, a subcontractor of something that's already not our responsibility, you have to go to like the Department of Defense, not CENTCOM. And then just getting sent around. Mm-hmm. Right. And just like shuffling. Yeah. Shuffling around back and forth because there's no one whose like specific job description is to look for <laughs> human trafficking allegations in and amidst mm-hmm. the subcontractors. And this is also Telegram. how they can get away with it because sometimes the subcontractors will also contract out to somebody else. So the chain of command is just so long and impossible to follow. Of course nobody's going to get any justice. And what do you think the yeah. people who are being trafficked are going to do? Sue? No. No. <laughs> it's a giant yeah, it's a giant game of like bureaucratic and also intercultural interlinguistic like telephone. Mm-hmm. And for a party of people, Republicans, who are so against bureaucracy, I mean, also, to be clear, fuck Democrats, too. (laughs) But, like, it's just even more maddening that they're like, yeah, everything we do over there, overseas, great. And it's like, this is the exact thing. The exact thing that you warn the United States is going to become is, like, this overly bureaucratic way of losing accountability for individuals. Like, that's the main platform of the Republican Party is, like, fuck big government because of that reason. Hey, yo, Martin Scorsese, you know that new movie about American greed you've been trying to make? Well, listen to this. <laughs> Big Martin Scorsese fan over here. I'm going to get him to listen to the pod. Maybe I can, maybe I can get there through his daughter. She's Honestly, like, probably. She has good taste. Yeah, she has good taste, and I have a TikTok following. Oh. Maybe I'll get her. Amy, Everybody at her. Everybody at her. <laughs> Amy, were you going to say something before? No. All right. (laughs) So, mind you also, 
I'm leaving a lot out for the sake of brevity mm. and sanity. I think this is going to be the most sources that I've ever used in an episode. I encourage you to read even a couple of them. Uh, but let's recap for a moment. KBR. Having become the Amazon of private contracting by way of being acquired by Halliburton, is awarded a no-bid IDIQ contract that Bunny Greenhouse stood against to provide as many services in Iraq as the U.S. Department of Defense deems necessary. Through a series of incompetence at best, evil at worst, avarice at mid, (laughs) employees of KBR built, at times incredible, soldier accommodations in Iraq. However... These accommodations were staffed with employees, overcounting how many people used the accommodations, consequently overcharging the government. The accommodations frequently cut corners on hard stuff like food refrigeration, air-conditioned buildings, and 120-degree heat for industrial workers. And finally, the accommodations at their lowest, like, quote-unquote, lowest skilled aspects were staffed by people who were frequently being trafficked by subcontractors over which KBR barely exercised any discipline or consequence. So, on the other hand, you could walk your tasty ass over to a PX and get a Beyonce CD. (laughs) But (laughs) that's what we're dealing with here. And at this point, we're already 10 pages into the script. I have no idea how long we've been recording for. Um, But it's going to be another episode. Because remember at the beginning how I said also KBR's job was oil? We haven't even gotten to oil. (laughs) Oh, my God. So... (sighs) Oil by the Gorillas featuring Stevie Nicks. Oh, that was in my, I think that was my number two song on Spotify last year. Oh, really? I love that song. That's a great song. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be a part three about also burn pits, oil, electricity, uh, all that crazy. fun stuff. So that's where we are. How are you guys feeling? I was thinking, I just thought, like, do you ever get depressed <laughs> doing all this research? Like, how do you, like, get yourself in, like, a helpful mood? Ooh, I'm a pretty happy person generally. Which helps a lot. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of friends and a lot of activities. Yeah. Honestly, the worst one was last episode about like the tiger cages and everything. Yeah. Like I think I said it last episode too. Like I I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about it and could not go back to sleep because it just like was so graphic and disturbing. I just yeah. couldn't go back to bed. Um, but also, I don't know. A lot of people have it a lot a lot worse. Not that it's the oppression Olympics or anything, but. Mm. I don't know. I live a pretty comfortable life. It's not tremendously difficult to look at all this. I'm also desensitized. I play violent video games. (laughs) So I'm fine. I play Mortal Kombat 3. (laughs) So how do you two cope? (laughs) Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, I always think about the civil rights movement is my thing of like, you know what? All this shit sucks, but sometimes literally all it takes is like a group of people to say, fuck this, and things will change. Mm. It happens slowly, but it happens. Yeah, I was also, uh, my boyfriend has a PBS documentary Ooh. subscription. and <laughs> What specific? Every time I come over, he's watching something new by Ken Burns. Uh, and so he was recently really into the Holocaust. Because um, yeah. Ken Burns has like a million part documentary series. Damn. And something I didn't realize um, it was talking about this incredible woman whose name I now do not remember, who did a lot of reporting on the ground. She's like a, an American reporter in Nazi Germany reporting accurately the conditions that Jewish people were facing mm. um, and how many protests happened in the United States. Like, all yeah. that was like encouraging. Yeah. I know it's not what stopped Hitler, but yeah. I didn't know that that. I was never really taught that in school that like there were tons of people protesting it the whole time. Yeah, right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's something I learned way later on. Yeah. And, you know, I also, like, am politically active and I go to protests and stuff. So mm-hmm. I guess that's also how I sleep at night. You know, like, I'm yeah. doing my best. That's real. You got that, listeners? Go outside. Go touch grass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to go outside. Yeah, yeah. But that's it for this episode, y'all. Anything you want to plug? Oh, wait. I have something I want to plug. Ooh. Amy Doe has released a new song on Spotify. Facts. Titled Persuasion Page 222. And it's a banger. It is. It's great. Uh, Amy Doe. It's like a minute and two, in two seconds, something like that. Minute long love song number yeah, four, yeah. I believe. Sheesh. Or five. Five. Fuck. Sheesh. Yeah, that shit rips. So I would highly encourage you listeners to go yeah, yeah. check that shit out. Check out Autism Over Yaltism, the Blender <laughs> Bluid EP that truly changed my life. The intro. Oh my God. Really? So, yes. Aww. I love that fucking EP. Thank you. Yeah. It's even better live. Are you doing any shows soon? Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> any specific ones? Uh, why would they have right. play? I'm showing up places. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, um, join Busted <laughs> Business Bureau's Patreon. Facts. Patreon.com slash Busted Biz Bureau, where I will be... Uh, I recorded an episode with Jordan, but I think it's full of HIPAA violations. <laughs> so I, I have to do a lot of editing. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe go visit um, the Dueling Pianos tour. Yeah. Yeah, so there's not going to be an episode next week. Um, it's not because it's Christmas. Fuck Christmas and all mm. her drag. Uh, <laughs> it's because I, starting literally tomorrow, will be on a Dueling Pianos tour, and I didn't record any of these in advance. <laughs> so Real enough. Sorry, y'all. You're going to have to wait. I might release like a bonus episode or something on Christmas as like Woo. a little treat. A little treat. A little treat. A little salami as a treat. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for my Patreon subscribers' continuous donations. Shout out to incels on Reddit. Shout out to incels on Reddit. Yeah. You guys have been really nice to me. Thanks and I've job. been so unfair to you. <laughs> wait, did that happen on this on this version? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> we recorded two versions of this episode. The director's cut is coming out next week. <laughs> okay. Anything else you might guys want to say before we leave? Um, happy holidays, everybody. Aww. Yeah, happy Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. <laughs> bye.